We have a privilege to hear from one of our own. His name is Andy Spradley. Andy and his wife, Nadine, and their three girls have served in Macedonia since 1995. So next year, it will be 20 years that we've had the opportunity to partner with the Spradleys in bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Macedonia. Isn't that awesome? 20 years of service. We heard in March from Carlos Calderon from Partners International. He talked about the Macedonian call from Acts 16, where Paul had this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, bring the gospel to us. And so in a very tangible way, the Spradleys are fulfilling that Macedonia call of Acts 16 here today in 2014. And so let me pray for Andy as he comes up and pray for our time here this morning. Father, I thank you for our Albanian teams that have already gone out. God, thank you for how you've used them in mighty and powerful ways. God, thank you that you are working in Albania far ahead of us. And God, we anticipate great things in the future. And Lord, for this country right next to Albania, this beautiful two million person of country of Macedonia, God, we thank you that you are at work there and that you're using us as a church to partner with Andy and Nadine uh, to bring your good news. God, use Andy to speak to us now. In Christ's name, amen. I am so thankful to be here with you all today, worshiping our Lord, just the songs we're singing, the things that we know to be true about our Savior. We follow Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. I am thankful for God's faithfulness to my family. As, Pat, as uh, Matt said, almost 20 years he has sustained us in Macedonia. Through highs and lows, he's been faithful to our family. He's provided for us. He's encouraged us. He's taken care of us. Uh, he's blessed our children. Uh, I can't thank him enough for, uh, for his faithfulness to us. I also want to just express thanks to you as a church family. Calvary Church has stood behind us for 20 years. They're the ones that encourage us to go in the first place and send us out. Uh, and we are constantly on the receiving end of encouragement from this church, whether it's communication, uh, whether it's visits, We've had several teams come to Macedonia to do uh, English teaching evangelism, as they mentioned about Albania. We've done that in Macedonia. We've had several teams. In fact, I would love to have anybody that's been on one of those teams just stand briefly, if you don't mind me embarrassing you. There's a few of you here. Great. Uh, good to see you. Uh, and Calvary is, again, recruiting a team to come and help us. And if you're interested in that, these are some people that you might want to talk to and ask them about their experience. Of course, you can talk to me and Nadine as well. But we're thankful for this church. Uh, I know that you guys give sacrificially to so many missionaries so that we can be on the field. Uh, and you guys are involved. You're sending teams to all these different places. And I'll share later just about some of the experiences that we've seen in teams that have come to Macedonia. Let me tell you a little bit about where we uh, work. Let me put up a map here. There we go. We're right next door to Albania. Albania is to the west of us, and we have a very significant Albanian population in Macedonia as well. And uh, our Albanian population is really totally unreached. I would say it's virtually 100% Muslim. There's different, uh, there's different psychological factors in Macedonia, different political factors. In Macedonia, the Albanians perceive themselves as a oppressed minority. And so they cling very much to their traditional religious background, their traditional identity. And so far, they've been very resistant to the gospel. We have friends that are missionaries there. Uh, 
with the Albanian population. Our focus has been on the Macedonian population. The Albanian population has yet really to show any fruit. And in recent years, um, there's even been attrition among the missionaries, discouragement and really spiritual warfare. And recently, a group has come together to pray for God to give us a renewed vision of how the Albanian population in Macedonia can be reached. Uh, recently, there was a group consultation and 60 people came who are committed to recruiting people to come and work in the largest Albanian town, which is up on the, uh, n- the western border, on the mountainous border with Albania. So be in prayer for that. Uh, we've just, as SEND International, we've just uh, recruited our first couple to go and work specifically with Albanians. Uh, the Macedonian population in Macedonia, traditionally Christian, Orthodox Christian, but they've been through a lot of things over the years. Similar to Albania, they've been through 50 years of communist oppression where an atheistic government tried to really marginalize the, tr- the church. Uh, to be a Communist Party member in order to get a job, you had to renounce your faith. You had to declare yourself an atheist. Fifty years of that has left a very secular mindset. Prior to that, prior to the 20th century, they spent five centuries under the Ottoman Turks where Islam ruled the region and there was extreme pressure to become Muslim. And that's why the Albanian people today are Muslims. They converted in large numbers under the Turks. Now, the Macedonians are quite proud that, by and large, their people did not convert under the Turks. There's a small minority of Macedonians that did, but most of them have held proudly to their Christian label. But it really is, in most cases, just a label. There's uh, traditions all over the place, non-stop holidays and rituals and different things, saints' days, uh, and people go through these motions. They celebrate Easter with a traditional, a beautiful greeting, He is risen, He is risen indeed. And yet in conversation you'll find out that almost nobody really believes that. They don't have a hope in life after this life. They really don't believe that Christ rose from the dead. It's an empty tradition. That's the context we're in. We're in a context where people don't really have hope. Um, They mentioned that in Albania, everybody seems to want to go to America. Macedonians are the same way. And there's a reason for that. They don't see any hope in their country. The economy is terrible. It's very difficult to get a job. Unemployment somewhere around 40%. uh, And people that are employed often are getting abused by their employers with uh, unfair wages, sometimes going long stretches without getting paid at all. So people don't have hope. And they think, the only hope there is if I can get to Australia or Canada or just somewhere, Western Europe, out of this country, there's no hope. And we've been sent there to spread a message of hope. Not the hope of getting to the West, getting a better life, getting a job. Those are all maybe good things. But we've been sent because of our hope in Christ. And this verse, 1 Peter 3.15, sums up what we're there to do. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's our calling. Not just those of us who've gone overseas. That's, that's our calling for all of us, to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us about the hope that's in us. And we do that with gentleness and respect. But this begs the question, how often are people 
asking us. When was the last time someone asked you, tell me about your hope? I see signs of hope in you. Tell me about it. Don't we long for those moments when somebody would just say, tell me about your hope? And then evangelism becomes very easy. I long for and pray for more moments like those. And that's where I think the salt and light theme that you've chosen for your missions conference really dovetails with this verse. Being salt and light means that we're showing forth our hope in the way we live. And people will start to ask us. Salt and light means we're different. Sometimes we think, well, if I want people to like me and want to ask me about Christ, I need to become more relevant, more like them, more, more like their culture. Maybe there's something to that. But really, salt and light is about being different. Salt brings flavor when food is bland. It's also used to keep food from rotting. So in some sense, we are supposed to be agents to prevent the rotting that we see all around us in society. That's being different. Light is supposed to show the way to people in darkness. People that have been in darkness for a long time, usually light's kind of an uncomfortable thing to encounter, right? It's not always even a welcome thing. We're called to be salt and light so that someone may ask us about our hope and then we can tell them. I want to turn to a passage to the original Macedonian church in the city of Philippi. We mentioned Acts 16. Paul went to Macedonia. The Spirit led him there through a dream. And the first city he came to was Philippi, a leading Macedonian city. And he planted a church there. And a number of years later, he wrote them a letter. He'd gotten wind that there were some issues in the church, some, some little disunity that was starting to crop up, and he wrote a letter to encourage them. And he touched on this theme of being lights in a dark world. And he gave them some very interesting advice. Not advice, really. A command from God by the Holy Spirit. It's in chapter 2, Philippians 2. And it's three verses, beginning in verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul wants to know that these believers are going to be faithful. These believers that came to Christ through his missionary effort, that they're going to stick to it to the end and that they're going to be lights in the world so that he doesn't feel like he wasted his time with them. Lights in the world, how? By holding fast the word of life. But the beginning of it is really key. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be lights in a dark world. I remember, it's been about 12 years now, I led a series through Philippians with a house church in our town. Same group we're working with now. Three families at the time. They had all been believers about a year and a half or so. And they all had faced a lot of difficulty for their faith. A lot of family rejection, 
typically in Macedonia, if you turn to Christ and you join an evangelical church and start seeking God in the Bible, you get labeled pretty quickly as a cult. They face that. A lot of hostility from family members who knew nothing of their Christian religion that they held to, but they were quick to jump on uh, their family members who had found Christ for real. So they're going through that. And we come to this passage one night in our study, and I'm excited about it. I'm trying to encourage him. And we read that verse, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you can be lights in a dark world. And they looked at me astonished, and they said, that's impossible. <laughs> we can't do that. And I'm just thinking, oh, why not? <laughs> uh, and they went on to say, if we do that, First of all, it's too hard because there's a lot to grumble about in Macedonia. Uh, but on top of that, if, if we do that, they said, everybody around us, our family, neighbors, everybody's just going to think that we're crazy, that we're seriously imbalanced people. They're already making those kinds of accusations about us that we're in this cult. If we give up the tradition, the time-honored tradition of complaining we're going to be written off as nutcases. And I went home discouraged that night thinking, these people are not responding to God's word. They're not growing. They're not listening to me, the missionary, and, and to God's word. Uh, but their point was understandable. There is a lot to grumble about, particularly in the Balkans. There's just a lot of hardship. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. It's very hard to go through uh, life without complaining. And sometimes we feel in Macedonia like the culture is so into complaining that it's, a, it's like a contest. You get in a group and somebody shares their woe of the week and somebody else quickly says, well, yeah, but listen to mine. And they top it, right? It kind of becomes a contest. Now, if we're honest, I think that's really in our culture as well. We have so many blessings in America. There's so many people in the world that want to come here because of all the the advantages we have. And yet we still, don't we grumble and complain? It's hard. Paul calls them to do that. But Paul doesn't just write that in a vacuum. He lived it in their town in a dramatic fashion when he first planted the church. There was no one in Philippi that could say, yeah, Paul, that's easy for you to say. You're off on your trips. They had seen something amazing the first time he came to Macedonia, and I'd like to look at that as well. That's in Acts chapter 16. Paul comes to Macedonia, and he experiences a huge injustice. Acts chapter 16, you're probably familiar with some of the story. He comes and he's preaching. Uh, they had their first convert, who was a woman named Lydia. Um, she came to Christ. Paul stayed in town another few weeks. He's preaching the gospel in the marketplace, he's going around town, and a demon-possessed fortune teller starts giving him some trouble, starts kind of irritating him, and he, by the Spirit of God, casts out this demon. And he gets in trouble, because the people that are making money off this don't like it. And so they, they stir up a mob, and it says in verse 22, it says, the crowd rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I think if that had happened to a modern-day Macedonian, 
They probably would have had the victim mentality. Here we go again. Life just isn't fair. We can never win. This is horrible. You know, it's never going to end. Probably a modern-day American would react a little different. It would still be grumbling and disputing, but it would be kind of like, we're going to fight for our rights. I'm going to call my lawyer. We're going to call in the Marines. This is not going to be tolerated. But Paul, Roman citizen that he was, doesn't respond that way. It says, about midnight, imagine you're sitting in stocks, multiple hours in pain, can't move, concrete floor. I've actually been to this site and seen the prison site. It's, just a, it's basically a hole in the ground. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer had been roused out of sleep, seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Isn't that a logical expectation? The prisoners would have escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. It's amazing. Not only was Paul still there, and instead of complaining, he cares about this jailer and is stepping in to save his life, but the other prisoners who were listening, who maybe would have thought, who's this guy that's crazy, that's not grumbling when he should be grumbling, they were there as well. It doesn't say exactly what their response was, but the, the response of the jailer is amazing. He calls for lights. He rushes in, verse 29, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that the question all of us want somebody to ask us tomorrow morning at work or in our neighborhood? That's the question I'm dying for people to ask me in Macedonia. Because he had seen someone being light when he should have grumbled, but he didn't. Then it becomes very easy to be a missionary. They said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. All because Paul had a mentality that kept him from grumbling and disputing. He was praising God. Doesn't that seem crazy to be able to praise God in a prison? It is crazy unless, unless he really believed everything he was preaching. In some sense, it would be crazy for us to go through life and just never complain unless we believe everything we say we believe. We claim to believe some astonishing things, don't we? We sang a lot of them this morning. The lion and the lamb. What a future we have. Our present isn't too bad either. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Romans 8 says, so many things that should thrill us, right? There's therefore now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and on. The Spirit of God is in us, leading us. Uh, 
There's, uh, the suffering we have in this world is nothing to be compared to the glory that's going to follow. And he sums it up and he says, what shall we say then to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things freely? We should be joyful people. It's not easy though, I confess. I'm tempted to grumble. I grumble sometimes. Did you know missionaries grumble sometimes? <laughs> the response is slow. Is, you know, is it worth it that I'm even here? People are sending money. People are expecting great things. I'm hoping for great things. And it's slow. The soil is hard. We get to grumbling. I'm thankful that I have a wife that steps in and helps me stop grumbling when I get started. It's hard. It's hard not to grumble. But if we will be salt and light, God is ready to step in and bring us people that will ask us about our hope. And we just need to be ready to give an answer. We don't have to have all the answers. We have to have an answer for our hope. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. It does get hard in Macedonia. Uh, our believers... They feel discouragement often. Uh, it feels like the response is so slow. I do want to encourage us with one encouraging story of someone who came to Christ who is being salt and light. I want to share a little bit of her story. She's in the picture you see. Uh, there you go. Uh, her name is Ilvanka. She's wearing a red and white striped shirt here in the foreground of the picture. And we met her in 2009, I believe, through a Calvary summer team. They came to teach English. And uh, we had two weeks, five nights a week, two hours a night. But then we were available outside of class time to just befriend people. And Ilvanka showed up, didn't know any English. At her age, she's a little older than I am. It's hard to learn a new language. So I don't think she was entertaining any fantasies that she was going to become fluent in English. But she wanted to get out of the house, meet some new people, learn some English. And there she was in our class every night. And I happened to be in her class as a helper, translator, because beginners often need translation. Uh, Renata Schnur was leading that class, and she connected with uh, Ilvanka, but Ilvanka connected with me and others on the missionary team and others on the Calvary team met her. And uh, she enjoyed that week. Uh, we enjoyed getting to know her. Uh, the interesting thing was Nadine and I went on home service literally uh, less than a week after the Calvary team left. Uh, it was kind of a turbo week. Don't know that we'd do it that way again, but it worked out quite well. Uh, so we went here to California for a year, and we went back to California a year later, and there's Ilvanka at everything, at everything the church offered. All these, uh, every ladies' group, uh, Sunday service, anything she could come to, she was coming to. She had seen hope, first in the Calvary team, uh, also in the missionary team, and in the Macedonian believers in the church. She had sensed something. And she wanted to be around that. Uh, Ilvanka has a pretty difficult life. She's married to a very difficult man. Uh, you might pray for him. He's not a believer yet. We're praying that the Lord would bring him along. Uh, she has huge financial uh, problems. They live in a tiny apartment that they rent. And often they're unable to pay their rent. Often they're afraid of being evicted. Uh, Ilvanka has health problems. She has a serious heart condition. Um, on top of that, their apartment is on the sixth floor of the building. And the standard in Macedonia is anything under seven floors, no elevator. So she's on the sixth floor 
Every day she's got to navigate all these stairs with a heart condition. Uh, it gets very hot up there in the summer, no air conditioning. It's a difficult life, not much hope. Her husband is a man without hope. But Ivanka saw hope in some people, and she started coming. A few years later, uh, I remember Nadine telling me about the ladies' uh, Thursday night meeting that they have, and they were going through a Christian book that was translated into Macedonian. Some of you may know it. It's called The Power of a Praying Wife. And the basic premise is, you know, pray for your husband. Don't nag him. Don't try to change him. Don't attack him. Don't fight with him. Pray for him. Care for him. That seemed crazy to Ilvanka. And you'd know that if you uh, knew the man she was married to. Uh, just to give you an example, a few months before that Bible study started, we got a call from Ilvanka, and she was having serious uh, health problems. She was not well. Uh, so Nadine and our teammate Sherry and I, we went up to see her. We climbed the stairs. We get up there. It's late at night. Uh, and she looked like death warmed over. And Nadine, uh, as a nurse, knew that we needed to get her to the hospital. Um, and so we're trying to figure that out. How are we going to get her down five flights of stairs? No elevator. Um, her husband wasn't being helpful. Uh, he was kind of actually mocking and saying, eh, she's just kind of making this up. This is her way of getting attention. She's just faking it. Uh, it was very obvious she wasn't faking it. Uh, finally, we got a kitchen chair, put her in it, and Nadine and I and the husband, Traiche, we lugged her down five flights of stairs. And then we took her to the hospital. Traiche stood at the door, still kind of mocking the whole situation. Uh, she was in the hospital a couple days. Meanwhile, he went away to the village to just hang out in the countryside with some relatives. Um, just to give you the kind of situation she lives in. For her to be challenged to pray for her husband, to love him, to care for him. That was a difficult thing for her to get her mind around. That seemed crazy. Probably her neighbor ladies would think she's crazy if she starts talking about praying for him, if they know him. Uh, but over the course of the year, the gospel started to become clear to her. She started to realize that, you know, God reached out to us when we were still his enemies. The Bible says, while we were still his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God demonstrated his love to us. How? While we were still sinners against him, he sent Christ to die for us. That started to sink into Ilvanka's heart and mind. And she started to see more and more of the hope that the, the believers around her had. And she came to the point where she was able to say, I can pray for my husband. And we started hearing her pray for him in our prayer meetings. She testified, you know, I can pray for my enemies now. God has taught me to do that. She's a changed woman because of the grace of God, God's Spirit working, but God's Spirit worked through people who were being salt and light that she came in contact with. Now, she is truly, I think, the biggest evangelist in our church. She has learned the secret of being salt and light. She loves to reach out to her neighbor ladies. They live on the fifth floor, sixth floor that is. Uh, they count different in Europe, so they say fifth floor to us, sixth floor. Summertime is so hot, so they spend the evenings sitting out in the little courtyard on these broken down benches talking. And she talks to people about what she's learning about God. And they typically mock her, say, you're in a cult. And she just says, well, why don't you come check it out if you think it's so bad? Come see, you'll see. 
And a lot of her friends have come and visited. She's invited her husband. We've met her husband. Uh, we don't see any softening there yet. But she is being salt and light. Uh, some of these people in the picture come to get their blood pressure taken uh, at our church. where That's one of the things Nadine does for us to be salt and light. Is just she offers a free blood pressure check, a free, free blood sugar check. And people will come. Some of these are Ilvanka's friends that come. And she then invites them to church. Uh, she has discovered joy in Christ. And it started because some people were salt and light. That's what we're called to. We're called to be salt and light so that people notice a hope in us and they might even ask us. So, how's your salt and light quotient? That would be a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. How am I doing at living joyfully caught up with the wonderful truth of who I am in Christ, what we have in Christ. How am I doing about doing all things without grumbling and disputing? Are people seeing light in me? Am I shining as a light in a dark world? The challenge from God's Word today is for each of us to think about that, to ask God to fill us with His Spirit so that we'll live in such a way that people will ask us about the hope that's in us. Before I pray, I just want to say, if there's anybody here today, maybe you wandered in, and you, this hope is still kind of a new concept to you, something you don't quite get, or maybe you're skeptical, you just come into church to check out what's here, but you don't know Jesus personally. First of all, welcome. <laughs> We're glad you're here. And uh, perhaps you've even run into Christians who've rubbed you the wrong way, haven't really been very good examples of salt and light. And I definitely acknowledge that that happens and apologize for that. I know that I've been that person in people's lives uh, as well sometimes. But I pray for you that you will find this hope. There are people here that would love to share that with you. I would love to share that with you. I'm going to be available in the lobby after the service love to just visit with anybody uh, on any topic, but uh, certainly if you are seeking hope, uh, love to talk to you about that. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for myself. May God give us strength to live this way, to be salt and light, to be ready to give an answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much to thank you for. We could Stay here all day simply thanking you and praising you for all you've given us. Thank you for your son who died for us, who's risen, he defeated death for us, and he lives in us. Thank you for Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray, Lord, for all of us here that we, by your strength, would be salt and light so that people would ask us about the hope that is in us, Lord. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.